1: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of The Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. We're very excited about today's show. We're going to be looking... We
0: started the show before well, the show we did. started. We're, we, yeah.
1: <laughs> we have been talking up a storm. We're looking forward to talking about the holiday season and uh, encourage you to share some holiday traditions and particularly recipes because we're talking about who's your food and who's your eating and uh, who's your holiday eating this, uh, this noon hour today. So we're going to make you all hungry. We have three guests with us in the the studio. Joanne Stutchen is the f- food folklorist and the author of Cafe Indiana, A Guide to Indiana's Down Home Cafes. Also, Jeff Tabor, who's the sh- uh, chef and chair of I- Ivy Tech Community College Hospitality Administration Program. And Harriet Armstrong is with us. She's the Health and Human Sciences Program Assistant for Purdue Extension in Bartholomew County. So if you have questions or comments for us today, please call us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. If you're shy, you can join us online, org slash Noon Edition, where we'll be having a live chat. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So uh, as I said, we're all very excited about this. We're going to be really hungry by the time. We're done, Jeff. I should say Jeff Tabor also is doing a video for the Herald Times every week. We're happy about that. Kitchen know-how, and uh, good to have you here in the studio. So let's talk about your background. You said you're not a Hoosier, right? You're trans. Well, I am a Hoosier. Hoosier? Um,
2: My family's, my parents are transparent. but Uh I am a, I am a Hoosier, growing up in Indianapolis. But we had a little discussion about Indiana Hoosier traditions, and I don't know if I had very many Hoosier traditions it took me a long time before I figured out what the sugar cream pie was. <laughs> um, but, uh, so but yeah, I grew up in Indianapolis, and I definitely know my fair share of tenderloin sandwiches. Yeah, so, all
1: right. So, and Joanne, you grew up someplace else, too.
3: I grew up in Minnesota and have lived in Martinsville, Indiana, since 1990, and I'm like, Jeff, there was a lot of learning that I had to do about what it is at Hoosiers Aid and what it is they love to eat and what it is that defines the Hoosier Hoosier culinary tradition. So Mm -hmm. it was a a good cultural experience for me.
1: All right. And Harriet, you did grow up here.
3: I did. I'm a farm
4: girl from White County, just north Mm -hmm. of Lafayette, Indiana. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. So how would each of you describe, I mean, in like 25 words or less, the uh, Hoosier culinary uh, tradition?
4: Well, mine being from Indiana uh, and a farm girl, we had gardens, and so Thanksgiving was always the time when we got to see our harvest out on the plat on the table. So we had we had lots of vegetables, and one of the customary ones was turnips. My father would have this uh, desire to grow the largest turnip possible, and we would have. Turnips and peas and a lot of the other things were on the table were also homegrown.
1: Mm-hmm. What was his record for the largest turnip he, he grew?
4: You know, I think it was after I left home, but okay. there was a picture that they took uh-huh. of it on the scales, and uh-huh. I think it was definitely close to ten pounds. Ten
1: pound turnip. That's yes. uh, Jeff's at that pretty good size. Uh, that's
2: Have you ever seen one that size? <laughs> that's a lot of turnip. <laughs> I've seen some pretty large ones, but that's that's enormous.
1: All right. Well, so how would you uh, describe in sort of brief? Here? The Hoosier holiday tradition?
2: The Hoosier holiday tradition, I think our cuisine in general, um, I'd almost say we venture to say we're cutting edge because now the slow movement and the farm fresh, that's what we grew up with, you know, the we being Hoosiers many times. I mean, I'm from Indianapolis, it's a little bit different, but um, if we judge Indiana as a whole, that's what it was, was looking at to farm fresh food because that's what we grew up with. Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: And Joanne, you said it was a learning curve for you, so
3: yeah. And I, I because I'm a folklorist, I approach it, um, I guess, from the area of ethnography. And so I'm, I'm asking myself as I'm out there touring the cafes and visiting the small towns, you know, what, what is it that defines the culinary heritage of? of Indiana so I started exploring things like the ethnic heritage of the sett- settlers or the geographic heritage like the, the southerners coming up over the mountains and settling southern indiana and bringing that culture with them and then what what remains of that culture in the food and the food traditions of indiana it also looked at the geography and the climate and you know the types of plants that are native here like persimmon trees and mm-hmm. then the types of plants that were grown um, so looking at you know in the broad sense of cultural heritage and what what remains and, and what persists and what survives into the present day.
1: Mm-hmm. Is, is there anything specific to Thanksgiving that you think is truly Hoosier?
3: You know, the thing that struck me as, as being a non-native Hoosier is th- the fondness for noodles and the fondness for macaroni and cheese, two dishes that always <laughs> appear on the Thanksgiving table in Indiana. And where I grew up, um, r- rarely appeared ever at all on the table, but to... to, to such common foods that that are so celebrated that they appear on the holiday table was was a surprise to me mm-hmm. also the emphasis on just carbohydrates and starch so we have mm-hmm. noodles and macaroni and cheese and potatoes and the you know mm-hmm. gravy thickened with flour and and we have
1: Dressing. stuffing and, Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah
0: and it just goes <laughs> on and on
1: so. and, rolls and, and, right. and, and rolls and yeah. and, and vegetables.
0: vegetables that that in other cultures are eaten fresh or are eaten creamed Yes, mm-hmm. corn. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. Or peas or anything yeah. like that. Green my, bean
1: casserole. Come yeah, on. yeah. Right. <laughs> my parents moved here
0: from Wisconsin, and I remember them being absolutely amazed by the emphasis put on chicken and noodles. And, you know, the quality of the noodle was, a, you know, a topic of discussion. How do you make your noodles? And, you know, was, and my mom was like, I don't. I and and so we had a babysitter who made would make beef and noodles and chicken and noodles for us and I thought now that's good.
1: All right, now I'm going <laughs> to ask the, the first uh, how do you make it related question and it's about noodles. I'm going to turn to Jeff first. You teach uh, culinary arts, so uh, how would you teach me to make a great noodle?
2: A great noodle? Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd look not at,
1: a mediocre noodle. A great <laughs> noodle.
2: Um, the thing you need to think about noodle they're boiled. Um, Essentially, it's unleavened bread. Um, And when you're looking at that, you're using flour, water. Flour, water create gluten. The more you work it, the tougher it's going to get, which is great for bread. But when we want a nice tender noodle that we're going to simmer or boil, um, we need to look at what kind of flour we're using and uh, understand that. And the amount of fat that maybe you would put into the noodle would also help with that.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Maybe um, prevent some of that gluten structure because the fat will coat the gluten. Um, try not to get too scientific That's here. Okay. But really, it's you want to get it fully blended and you want to roll it out, but you want to really not knead it too much. And maybe let it relax in between mixing and when you start to form them and cut them. And, you know, that's kind of the what you really want to look at. And it's close to pasta. Mm-hmm.
1: But. So what's, what's your recommendation for a kind of flour and a kind of fat that you think would be best?
2: Well, butter or lard would be great. Um, when we look at a flour, we're looking at a lower protein flour. Uh, you do want a little bit more starch. So all-purpose would be fine. Um, but maybe looking at a pastry flour, which... Is not as readily available as Mm -hmm. the others. Um, We'd love to do. We'd love to say to do a whole grain, but it would be very difficult to hold a noodle together with, especially when you're boiling it Mm -hmm. with a whole wheat flour without adding some kind of white flour in there. Mm -hmm. So.
0: I remember my neighbor when she would start the process, and I loved to watch. And I did learn how to do it from her. She would start with a pile of white flour on the counter, and then she'd make a little crater in the mm-hmm. middle and drop the eggs in there and start the whole process right there. I mean, no bowl right there mm-hmm. on the counter, and the whole pretty much the whole process took place right there on the counter, which kind of
1: cool. Yeah, I think I've seen that on the Food Network.
2: Yeah, that's the traditional way or common way of doing pasta. Um, bread even sometimes i've I've done it that way with bread um you just have to look be careful with uh the when you create that nice well, you have the walls and if you're not careful one if you break the wall one time it's gonna go <laughs> right out and off off the table and you need to be very careful of that but right.
1: All right. Well, we're, we're talking about uh, Hoosier food traditions today in uh, advance of Thanksgiving. If you want to give us a call, 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, you can join the live chat, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Noon Edition. I wish I could tell you we had a great big table here and we were making all these foods we're talking about. That but, would be great. Uh, yeah, maybe we should just. Act like we are. <laughs> Pass the noodles. Yeah. Right. Do either one of you have a noodle recipe that you uh, would share?
4: I don't really know, okay. no. but and, I know dumplings too uh-huh, are uh-huh. along the same line, and that was a very big thing. What's my the difference? Um, not rolled as thin and placed. Yep. You know, more in a glob. But at least that's how my
2: m-
0: grandmother had
2: it. It's more of a biscuit. Yeah. Dough. Yeah. Patter, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's a little bit looser than biscuit. Joanne,
0: yeah. did you come across any diners in your travels that specialized in chicken and noodles? All of them.
2: That was <laughs> a big thing.
0: You I know. know really, they,
3: I would visit the cafes and I'd ask, you know, what's a top selling dish in your restaurant? And inevitably, it was chicken and noodles. I mean, and if so, if someone would ask me what is the, you know, the iconic entree for the state of Indiana, I would say chicken and noodles, with beef and noodles being a pretty close second. But chicken really trumps yeah. beef. Um, And I like to joke and and ask people, you know, did you know that there's a chicken and noodle line in Indiana? Mm -hmm. North of the line, you're going to find chicken and noodles. But south of the line, you're far more likely to find chicken and dumplings. Mm -hmm. And I kind of draw that line across the state, the National Road, U.S. 40. And again, it kind of is defined by where the people lived before they came to Indiana. So dumplings is a southern southern dish. And there is, you know, the, the biscuit type of dumpling that Jeff described, but there's also a rolled dumpling that is a lot like uh, a noodle, but it's not a strip. It tends to be an irregular shaped piece of dough. Um, Some people refer to them as dog ear dumplings because they cut them in triangles, and then as they boil, they kind of curl over like a little dog's ear. So it was really distinct and, you know, really interesting for me to find this geographical cultural difference in the state. That makes me understand Mm -hmm. a little my background,
4: Mm -hmm. because Grandma (laughs) was from Davies County, which is in southern Indiana, and it's the dog ear dumpling you were talking about, and uh, churches up north would have chicken and noodle suppers, and the ladies took quite um, a lot of pride in their noodles. And Mm -hmm. it was kind of like a church secret as to what recipes they were using for
5: that.
1: Let me introduce you to our speakers. That was Harriet Armstrong, who's Health and Human Sciences Program Assistant for Purdue Extension in Bartholomew County. Right before that, Joanne Stutchin Joanne was talking about uh, going to the cafes. She's the author of Cafe Indiana, A Guide to Indiana's Down Home Cafes. And we also have Jeff Tabor. He's a chef and chair of Ivy Tech Community College's Hospitality Administration Program. We have our first caller on the line, so let's go to Nancy. Nancy?
5: Oh, hi. Hi. Um,
1: yeah,
6: my name's Nancy Hutchins, and uh, I think this is actually a great show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up on a farm in Greene County and with the family cook from the time I was about 10, and then left the area and uh, lived in New York for a long time and wrote a book called Memories of a Midwestern Farm. And part of it was doing research uh, on the traditional recipes that I grew up with. And I think what I found as a part of it was that it seemed so many of these recipes came from Pennsylvania Dutch and then also Southern, uh, had Southern leaf. And I know you were talking about vegetables and how um, we sort of do everything we can to kind of mask uh, the flavor of the vegetables. (laughs) And I think about green beans and corn uh, and tomatoes and just, you know, acres and acres of canned goods that we used to do uh, when I grew up. But I really think, and I loved, I think, Joanne, you were the one that described how to make uh, dumplings. And you're absolutely right. And noodles. You know, to start with, like, the little, I mean, that was something that we did. um, My mother, I can remember her doing that just uh, at least two or three times a week. But I think sort of the iconic, I think about recipes, persimmon pudding, Mm -hmm. date pudding, very rich, very uh, sweet, intensely sweet recipes for sweets. Uh, One of the things I've noticed moving back from the East, and living here now is how very sweet everything is. And I'm not sure why, but I really wish that would change and anything you guys can do to change that (laughs) would be terrific. So, anyway, I think it's a great show and I hope people get some good suggestions for how to do something. When I sent my book out to publishers, the feedback was... Uh, it's great. We love it, but it's so nutritionally incorrect. <laughs>
0: right, right. Well, that's a lot about Hoosier that's, cooking, yep, I Yeah, that's the truth. I love or, it that you mentioned what I think is the Hoosier holy trinity, which is tomatoes, corn, and green beans. That's
1: right. Right. Nancy, thanks a lot for calling in. We really uh-huh. appreciate it. Thank
5: you.
2: That's, All right. That's something that was interesting because we talk about how everything's sweet here, but the one interesting contrast to that is cornbread here. Versus cornbread out east. I lived out east and I was in shock when they gave me a cornbread and it tasted like pound cake mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. because
2: I'm used to stone ground mm-hmm. cornmeal cornbread out mm-hmm. here and it's very different out there and they'd have their own corn, especially the Rhode Island area. There's some real good corn grist mills out there that, mm-hmm. but it seems everyone, besides, minus the uh, traditional Johnny cake out there, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they're always Sweet.
1: That, that okay. explains it because I know. I guess it's okay to mention a restaurant here. Sweetgrass. Um, have, they're kind of a Carolina restaurant, and they serve cornbread with the meal, and it is very sweet. It's like eating dessert.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Harry, did you grow up eating
4: uh, cornbread and milk? I did not. But when we talk about cornbread, it comes to mind that we lived in Texas for about ten years, and dressing down in Texas for Thanksgiving was cornbread dressing. I grew up with bread dressing, and it was Mm -hmm. maybe with some fruit in it, like an apple or something. But it was usually either you could have oyster dressing or you could have with it out oysters. But it was a bread base and not a cornbread base.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. We have a couple more phone calls. So Sharon is next. Sharon? Yes. Go right ahead.
4: Okay. Hello.
7: I'm enjoying the show so much. Sharon's
1: from Seymour. Thank you, Sharon.
7: Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, I heard you talk about noodles, and I heard you talk about dumplings and cornbread and uh first of all, cornbread has to be made in a cast iron skillet you. I'm sure you realize that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I like oh, your yeah. style right. <laughs> with whole butter.
7: Oh, oh yeah, absolutely, right. <laughs> absolutely. And uh, I, um, in talking about the noodles, uh, they're the easiest thing in the world to make. I love to make them. But what I like to make even more than noodles is rivel.
1: Rivel? Yes. I'm not familiar with it.
7: Uh, rivel is, I think it's Amish or Pennsylvania Dutch. Uh, it has the same ingredients rivel. as noodles, but you just, you work it as if you're doing pie dough so that it, becomes about the consistency of rice and uh, it's just basically um, eggs and flour and I use whole grain flour and salt and pepper and you just work as much flour into the eggs no recipe, how many eggs you use that's what determines the quantity you end up with it can be frozen in the freezer if you have extra and you just kind of Filter it into the hot broth, whether it's chicken broth or beef broth or whatever. You just filter it in with your hands. You don't want to dump it all in there, or you'll have a big clump. Mm-hmm. But you know, you work it, you work it in, and you stir as you're dum- as you're sprinkling it in. And uh, it's I ca- It's a fast alternative to noodles,
5: mm-hmm.
7: and much simpler than dumplings, which aren't too hard to make it anyway. But <laughs> I just wanted to throw some rivel into the mix.
1: We appreciate it. Thanks, it's Sharon. Awesome. right. Thank you. Bye. Thanks a lot for the call. 855-0811-877-285-9348 You can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. We hope that you'll send us uh, some of your favorite recipes, too. We have one listener send us a recipe for baked apples. Mm -hmm.
0: We have some other comments. Okay, let's let's get get to the next caller. Tom's
1: Tom's been patient. Tom, go ahead.
0: Yeah, uh, I
8: know this is going to be asked of all your chefs, but is it
9: possible to actually cook a
2: turkey in a microwave it's possible it's not recommended and you probably could not do it whole right um
1: it'd be a small turkey
2: it'd be a small turkey (laughs) and you can cook anything in a microwave but it's not going to have a quality that's worth eating
4: You'd like to probably have some browning on that turkey, and you're right. not going to find it in the microwave, mm-hmm. and you want to make sure you get that internal temperature up to the correct uh, 180 degrees. Correct. And mm-hmm. You cannot really be certain of that without a lot of uh, extra time in that microwave, which I don't know as you'd like the rubbery turkey
1: mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. might result. Tom, has that ruined your plan?
5: Uh, well, no, it was just an idea. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> hey, if he's having the...
5: Deep fried turkey here in the living room. Oh yeah, that's yeah. true.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there. a certain number of people every year, the the insurance guys have figured it out. A certain number of people every year burn their garages down with the <laughs> with the turkey fryer. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd be in good company if you burn the house down.
5: No, no, there's
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: hey, hey. Tom, thanks. We appreciate it. All right.
0: Here, we've had some comments that have come in online. Um, One writer says, my ex was Polish and Italian and required pasta at every celebration, holiday or otherwise. There are a lot of foods like that. that Unless they're on the table, it's just not right.
2: Mm -hmm. I I had some friends. uh, I went to school out east, and I had friends who were Italian families, and there was always lasagna Mm -hmm. at Thanksgiving and Christmas uh, Mm -hmm. next to the turkey. Mm -hmm. But there was always lasagna as well.
4: Food's a social event. Yeah, it's not just for hunger, right. right? And it's Absolutely. tradition and
0: memory. And there's mm-hmm. a lot, you know. We have six senses, and they all are involved in food. Right, yeah. Here's another comment. It says, "I can't imagine not having pecan pie for Thanksgiving dessert, or pecan pie, depending on how you like to say that." Mm-hmm. Uh, but for folks looking to switch it up this year, these old-fashioned baked apples are delicious. And um, the writer is kind enough to include the recipe that um, Bob uh, referred to. So let's see. Hold on, I'm scrolling as fast as I can. See what got, what else we have down here. Oh. Leftovers. It says leftovers, people. Um, <laughs> Americans will toss $282 million worth of uneaten turkey this Thanksgiving. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Uh, All
1: ahead. right. Let's go to the phone. Yeah. Back to the phone. Fred's on the line. Fred's from Spencer. Go Hello ahead, Fred. There. Hi. Hey.
2: Yeah.
8: Uh, I've been listening to your show. Just not turned it on. <clears throat> but I know 200 years ago, the people in in this part of the state pretty much came just straight across, like from Virginia and North. In South Carolina, mostly from Virginia and Maryland. And and uh, my family's from uh, Greene County. Before that, they came from Switzerland County. And, uh, but uh, they had used to... My dad always grew up. Every night, he'd eat him a, a bowl of uh, cornbread and buttermilk. If he had it, not mm-hmm. he had sweet milk. And uh, he'd use it. we always had the kind of cornbread that didn't have any sugar in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's also something they had. My dad, my family—I don't, I don't know if anybody else ever mentioned it. but There's something called egg butter, and God. my mom had a recipe for it. She uh, passed down from my dad's family. What was it like? What was it like, Fred? It was uh, made with molasses and eggs, mm-hmm. and it was, it was like it didn't—it didn't taste eggy or molasses. like it had a lot of molasses in it. But it had a good flavor to, uh, was to it. Was
0: it was like a spread then for cornbread?
8: Yeah, spread on bread. Was bread it cooked? It was different, but uh, was it was it cooked? Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had to cook it but um, Jeff's
1: uh, gonna be teaching about this, I can tell. <laughs>
2: well, yeah, it's a it's a custard. Uh-huh. But it But uh thin it was custard.
8: Pretty good. I mean it was had a unique flavor to it, but uh uh I'm not eating it for about thirty five years, so i am not I do not I d I don't I don't know how to make it myself, but I didn't know if uh, uh the baby the on there uh ever heard of it or not. But, uh, yeah, like I said, the cornbread was always made with uh, – it didn't have any sugar in it either, the way we mm-hmm. always eat ours. Right. And about the only uh, cornbread you get the sugar that I get ever is that Jiffy stuff. And <laughs> I know even the Cracker Barrel, they use uh, – the, the, they don't have a sweet cornbread in their restaurants. It tastes just like regular cornbread that we always grew up with. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's all I was going to say, and thank you. How do you? I like your show. Hey,
1: thanks, Fred. Nice we really call, appreciate Fred. your call. Thank you. Uh, so – you said it's uh, – Jeff, you said it's like custard as
2: well, what was talking about. Well, I mean the ter- the definition of custard is sweetened eggs that are cooked. Oh, okay. Um, uh-huh. Usually with some type of thickener. Uh-huh. Uh, so if it's spread, that means there's no real <laughs> thickener. It's just brought up at temperature and stirred slowly, so it's – of that liquid consistency, almost probably of a butter consistency.
0: And with the molasses, I don't know if he, and I don't know if the, if Fred knew if there was sugar involved, but I bet it still remained kind of
2: a savory spread. Well, that is the sugar. Spread. Mm-hmm. It would mm. still be a little sweet. I mean, it you wouldn't think, be sugar I never think sweet. of
0: molasses as that sweet. Uh,
2: yeah. It is. I mean, it is a it, type of sugar. So mm-hmm. it is somewhat sweet, but the flavor is more predominant than you don't think about the sweetness of it.
1: All right. We're going to take a short break. We're talking about uh, food traditions. Who's your food traditions in advance of Thanksgiving? We have three great guests that I'll reintroduce to you right after we take this short break. You're listening to Noon Edition.
9: This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at wfiu.org.
1: Welcome back to the Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald-Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're uh, enjoying ourselves talking about food. We're making ourselves very hungry <laughs> with uh, three great guests in the studio. We have Jeff Tabor, chef uh, and chair of Ivy Tech Community College's Hospitality Administration Program. Joanne Stutchen, who is a folk a food folklorist and author of Cafe Indiana, a guide to Indiana's down-home cafes, and Harriet Armstrong, health and human sciences program assistant for Purdue Extension in Bartholomew County. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or from outside of the Bloomington area, 877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition or follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition.
0: And we've had some more comments that have come in. We've got a discussion about gluten free jalapeno onion cornbread, and we're going to try to get that recipe for you. It sounds delicious. Um, From Earth Eats, a comment, it's not all that difficult to accommodate gluten free vegetarian vegan eaters at your Thanksgiving feast. Just get creative. Um, And then people are increasingly interested in talking about uh, vegetarian vegan gluten free alternatives Here's a writer who writes, In my home, every stitch is used uh, from the meal. In main course, soups or dog food. Only the bones are discarded. Um, another writer says, I suggest turkey and rice casserole. Turkey, rice, carrots, peas, onion, mushroom soup, a little bit of milk. Sounds delicious. So we're starting to get some recipe ideas coming in. <laughs> All
1: right. We're excited Were you taking about me that? to lunch again? Uh, well,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to have to up, up my game, I guess. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, well, I want to ask about the turkey. We have to ask about uh, what, what, what are your ideas on making the turkey for the Thanksgiving meal. Harriet, let's start with you.
4: Uh, I tend to put my turkey upside down with the breast on the bottom just because I like to have that juice go all the way through the breast. Um, Sometimes turn it up higher at the beginning just to kind of sear it and then allow it to cook for a longer period of time at a lower temperature. Um, And that... Allows me to put it on early, let it go, and mm-hmm. then not worry about it. Pounds.
0: Low and slow, three twenty-five, three fifty. What do you put it at? About two fifty. Oh, it, really? And let it go really low. For okay. How
1: long then? I mean, what's is there a formula per pound? Is it oh
4: how- twenty minutes per pound?
2: <clears throat> I think. Yeah, I just I'm I'm a when it's done. That's when it's done. <laughs> <laughs> you, want to
4: make sh- you want to make sure it gets that internal yeah, right. temperature, and that's about one hundred and eighty degrees. You want to stick that thermometer in the thickest meat, yep. whether it be in the breast or the thigh.
2: Well, you want to try to go to the thigh, mm-hmm. um, right near the joints. That's where the that's where it's going to cook the the slowest, because uh, especially if you don't have it upside down, the turkey breast is going to be the most exposed. And it's going to cook quickly and first. So that's why we always have dry turkey because we're trying to get it finished to the internal temperature uh, at the back of the turkey at the legs. And that's where the problem comes in, in terms of dry turkey. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good. Joanne, do you have any turkey
3: tips? I I only cook a turkey once a year, and that's at Thanksgiving. And – I always did it the way my mom did it. You know, she brushed it with butter and, and roasted it in the oven. She'd get up in the middle of the night and put it in. It was always a big turkey. Mm-hmm. But the last couple of years I've been brining, and I really like that. I mean, I get a really nice, moist turkey. I, I, I don't get the dry breast anymore. Um, and, you know, I've always just brined it in salt water. But uh, now I'm, I'm interested in brining it in apple juice or apple cider mm-hmm. or uh, maybe stuffing the cavity with fruits. Um, so, unfortunately, I'm being invited out this year, so <laughs> it doesn't look like I'm making a turkey at all. But, um, but I'll probably pick up a turkey when they're cheap here and then, you know, squirrel it away in the freezer and mm-hmm. give it a give it a brining One, treatment later on. I'm real cautious about the brining
4: and the uh, salt solutions added, just because of the health concerns with the sodium. I have a niece whose uh, heart. Uh, um, Issues and she has to make sure she watches her salt. Mm-hmm. So uh, I love to stuff the turkey with citrus and allow some extra moisture through it. In that fashion, but you, looking at what your health concerns are for the people within your uh, party that are going to be there is th- for Thanksgiving, I think is a big thing to take into mm-hmm. consideration. You
2: need to be careful when you're brining also because if you're buying your turkey from the grocery store, many of those have salt solution added right. to them. Mm-hmm. And they should not be brined, or otherwise they will be way too salty. Um, they almost have a what they would refer to as a brine, but it's more of an injected salt mm-hmm. solution mm-hmm. in them. Um, so if you have a fresher turkey or a fresh turkey, then those would be uh, – you could brine those. Mm-hmm.
4: You'd be amazed when you look at the uh, label on the frozen turkey and see what the sodium content is. Mm-hmm. It's very – uh, amazing if you're looking for to avoid sodium. Mm-hmm. We have some
0: comments mm-hmm. online, but okay, so when you go to choose a bird, where do you guys stand on the uh, fresh versus frozen and the uh, organic versus non-organic? Jeff, you want to go first?
2: Um, you know, honestly, I've never just... I grew... I've always been in city situations until I moved here, and this was the first year I was going to do a fresh turkey, actually. So... I'm going to try it out and see, um, and it's going to be – I'm still on the fence of whether I'm going to brine it or not. Um, when I roast the turkey um, – and obviously, if we are going with a – not and organic or not organic is not really what my concern would be. It would be if I'm looking at a fresh turkey and, you know, looking – we're in a – great situation here where we can easily find out where the turkey is coming from if we go to a fresh turkey and looking at how they were raised Um, that's one thing that I've grown to love being here in Bloomington and in this area Monroe County is uh, that opportunity and I would look at that um, especially and then I would you know I'm not if we're looking at that and looking at how it's fed and what it's fed and that, then personally, this is my personal thoughts, obviously, then, you know, I'm going to concern myself more with that than necessarily organic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you
0: guys want to comment at all? Opinion? I
3: buy a turkey from the grocery store, but I scrutinize the labels because I don't want one that's injected because I don't know what that stuff is, you know. So I'm, I'm looking for a turkey that's a turkey. I don't want any fillers. I don't want any, you know, injection of any kind of thing. I'm just really squeamish about it because I don't know what that stuff is. Mm-hmm. So I'm not I'm not concerned about whether the turkey is organic or whether it's fresh. I just want one that's a turkey. Mm-hmm. And I'm not
4: either concerned about the organic nature of the turkey, but I am about the sodium content. And last year, honestly, I went with, something other than turkey because of trying to avoid the sodium for mm-hmm. some of the people in my family.
1: I'm curious as to what, because it probably wasn't ham if you're no, worried about I, sodium.
4: I went with a roast, uh-huh. and it was just allowing for less sodium and mm-hmm. not having to be concerned about that.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Our phone numbers again are 855-0811, 877-285-9348. And you can call us and talk to Jeff, Joanne, and Harriet about uh, any, any uh, questions you have about the Thanksgiving meal, or any other Indiana food traditions. And also you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition.
0: And we've had, here's a comment that came in online. It says, my son-in-law's Thanksgiving tradition is to serve all new gourmet dishes using recipes he finds on chef sites. He kicks everyone out of the kitchen, including his wife, and does the whole feast himself.
2: Wow. I, I wonder what he cooks.
0: That boy was a find. I wonder okay. if I could find him. Yeah. <laughs> me being a
2: chef, this is a great day for me to sit down and relax. Yeah? <laughs> and,
0: yeah, there we um, go, the other side. It of the
2: never way. ends up being that. I always end up being too nosy, as my wife says. <laughs> uh-huh. And, you know, I'll usually cook something, whether it's a turkey or a side dish or something, depending if we're hosting or who's hosting, but um, I never... I always intend on staying out of the kitchen, but yeah, I end up in there. It. Just
0: can't help yourself.
2: Especially when it comes to gravy time. <laughs> oh, oh, we need yeah. to talk
0: about gravy. Let me get this comment in. Um, good news, uh, we did get the gluten-free cornbread recipe, so that is available on our website. And so is a persimmon pudding recipe that a listener shared with us via email. And here's um, uh, here's the uh, the prelude to that. Recipe is uh, I'm also a folklorist, but not about food. But I could be. My grandma always made her noodles right on the workbench, cracking an egg into a mound of flour. Whoops, hold on, we're getting a lot of comments that just moved. Um, uh, we've been Hoosiers, Monroe Brown and Green since 1830, and have had a lot and have a lot of food traditions. This recipe comes from my great great grandma, Sarah Baxter, and it's her persimmon pudding recipe. So be sure and um, go online and get that. And thank you, Rita, for sending us that.
1: Okay, we'll talk about gravy after we go to the phones. We have Chib from Columbus. Go right ahead.
10: Hi, I have a question. Yes, ma'am. Uh, yes, I'm only doing a chicken, or uh, excuse me, a turkey breast. And uh, I usually stuff it with uh, applewood bacon and uh, uh, garlic and other savory things. And I'm just wondering, um, can I do that in a crock pot? <laughs> mm, great question.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. If it'll fit, you could. Definitely. Yeah. It won't get the brown browning that is so desirable or the crispy skin but it will be cooked and it'll be flavorful very moist very moist yes
10: I just wonder uh, then could I brown it uh, when I get there because I'm traveling (laughs) so I have to take it
4: sometimes you might even still get a little bit of
2: browning with the
4: amount of heat and the length of time
2: but you could uh, you know it would be it would be completed it would be fully cooked um I think one thing you might do is you might consider even just putting, it, putting, your, putting the rack in the oven at a lower height and turning on the broiler, and that <clears> might, <throat> might broil the skin. You don't want it too close, though, because right. um, you might have some issues in burning before it will. But you want to keep it low enough to get a little bit more of an even, co- even heat over the whole breast, and that might work um, for you.
4: You're not going to have probably the picture turkey right. breast that you would see in the uh, magazine, but it'll be a very tasty turkey breast.
10: It's going to be a tasty turkey breast, but I don't think anybody there is going to worry about it because none of us can see. So anyway. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> that sounds like a great thing, but I do like the I like the crispy. So okay, I'll do it for me. All right. All right, excellent. All right, thank you, Chip. Thanks,
1: Thanks a All lot right, for the buddy. call. 8550811 in Bloomington, 8772859348 outside of the, local area, the local Bloomington area, and join the live chat at wfiU.org/noon Edition.:
0: Okay, um, we've had another nice comment from Earth Eats, and it says if you're scrutinizing the labels on your store-bought turkey, know what they mean before you buy, and um, there's a link. So you can find out exactly, uh, you expressed a, you didn't know what the label meant. Well, they're going to tell you. You might end up learning more than you really wanted to know. But that's that's a good way to find out. We had kind of a little teaser um, about, as we were promoing the show, talking about things. And one of the things we said was, or things we threw out there was, why we make gravy. Jeff, why do we make gravy? Uh,
2: well, gravy, traditionally, it was to mask the dry meat or even possibly... Way back the potentially rotting meat. Um, that, that was a long, long time <laughs> okay, ago. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, that's where gravy probably came from. Um, that, that's my understanding. Um, that's many medieval times uh-huh. you oh, yeah. have, you, or, have you run across that in your folklore? Yeah,
3: I'd I would say. agree. Um, but if you think of how gravy is made, let's just say you're, you know, you're a Indiana pioneer and it's 1820 and you're frying up a piece of salt pork or a piece of ham and you have all this brown stuff in your pan and you got a little bit of flour and you have some milk cuz you have a cow or you have water and it just makes practical sense to use everything that you've got and mm-hmm. you can you can extract you know tremendous amount of flavor from those little brown bits in the in the bottom of the pan And Hoosiers, like uh, a lot of Midwestern folk, love gravy. So you see it in biscuits and gravy, Mm -hmm. and there's chocolate bit gravy, and there's bacon and gravy, and there's, you know, white gravy and brown gravy. And um, it's just over and over and over again replicated from dish to dish. And it's just a practical way to extract the last bit of everything out of anything Mm -hmm. you've got. Don't
2: even get me
0: started on the white gravy, brown gravy thing. And (laughs) that's kind of the
2: the evolution of it is from before using it as whatever to mask whatever. Now, as we go into the classical French cooking and the classical cooking, it was more of that philosophy of there is flavor here. We're not going to waste it, so Mm -hmm. we're going to use it. Mm -hmm. And um, that's where it went from these – just something to mask the flavor to enhancing the product and really focusing on what the sauce or the gravy or um, – and really developing that into a flavorful product and accompaniment to your meat.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, we mentioned this earlier uh, a little bit. We alluded to, to dressing or – Or stuffing, and I just wanted to go back to that because I'm always interested. It seems like there are so many different kinds of dressing or stuffing that uh, is there a traditional Indiana dressing?
3: That, although I'm a folklorist, I can't say because Mm -hmm. um, in my research I was looking at the food in a small town cafe and you don't find turkey Uh you would find turkey as a special item at thanksgiving Mm -hmm. time but Mm -hmm. you know it is is a ritual food it's not an everyday food um, in indiana and probably elsewhere as well so i can't i can't speak to that Um, Uh you have to ask
4: harriet Harriet, uh, well i just
3: i grew up on bread dressing and Mm -hmm. not the cornbread dressing
4: and i'm um, thinking that's more southern. Now, maybe right. there's a line within Indiana where below it there's more of that, but. Uh, I, you
1: know, I was thinking also, I mean. Bread dressing, cornbread dressing, oyster dressing. You put celery in your dressing or not. Some apples, raisins. apples, raisins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it mm-hmm. seems like there's a lot of different stuff you can throw in there. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: I really like placing it outside the bird just because of safety reasons mm-hmm. and then not having to worry about the temperature.
2: And it's really not necessary to put it in the bird because everybody says, well, you get the flavor from the bird. Well, if you cook a bird and you have the juices in the – the broth at the bottom um and you look at how much is released from that bird and you think about oh i'm going to use that for the gravy and the amount there is not needed for the amount of gravy they're going you're going to use there's always a ton of gravy left over Mm -hmm. using that those drippings for your dressing separately and it doesn't. it's not a long, slow-cooked thing with dressing. It's You moisten the bread, let it sit with those hot drippings, and then brown it in the oven. And you have dressing that tastes just like it came out of the bird. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And it's a lot safer.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Sounds good.
2: Um, and it's really, you know, it is safety. Um, and it's really because people are avoiding the dry turkey. But because you have a stuff that's not going to cook, in the middle and it's not going to cook without drying out. And so waiting to get that stuffing, which has raw juices going into it. So now you have to have that stuffing at 170 degrees as well. And by the time that gets to that temperature, the rest of the bird is going to be dry. Okay. Mm-hmm. so well, That's a good tip.
0: That makes that. sense. Uh, Earth Eats says, local turkeys live better than those butterball birds. Local purchases keep your money in your town. Doesn't that sound good? And another comment is, and if you can talk to the turkey farmer in person, you can hear exactly how the birds were raised and what they were fed. Maybe even visit the farm. No label dissection necessary. So that's a good point.
1: All right. We have just a few minutes to go before, so you can get in your questions or share your recipe with us on. On the air, 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348, outside of the local calling area. Also, org slash Noon Edition to join our live chat. Uh, we have to talk about desserts before we're over. But first, I also, because I have uh, a few heart issues myself, I want to ask each of you to give us like one tip for some way to make the traditional Thanksgiving um, Uh, A traditional Thanksgiving food, just a little bit more healthful.
4: I would just suggest that um, there are lots of ways you can alter recipes. Uh, But honestly, because of the traditions, stick with the things that you really love. But there are things that you eat as well that are not your favorites make sure you uh, look at uh, compromising the calories and the sodium on those. And uh, if it's the yeast rolls that my grandmother made that the kids are going to be looking forward to, you don't want to change those. But there are certain other things that you may be eating that you can make, Alterations too, mm-hmm. so make them in those ways, but in moderation. When it comes to eating, realize that uh, a little bit will hopefully satisfy. Put a plate aside for in the future before you even eat, and then you'll have to say, "Well, you know, my seconds, I can take care of that and using that tomorrow, mm-hmm. and I won't have to go back for my seconds today and get those extra calories today."
2: Uh-huh. Okay. That's one thing that I've heard many times is one, you know, look at maybe putting some fresh non, not as starchy vegetables into there, even steamed and don't avoid all of these things because it is the traditional, it is the one time deal but mm-hmm. stack your plate up with the vegetables and then have sides, a little bit of these and then another one, another tip was always, you know eat your veg- eat the vegetables first obviously but then maybe even eat half the portion that you have on your plate and then this is the time for conversation, too. Then you kind of just set it down, enjoy your la- a little glass of wine or something, and start a start conversation and wait a little bit and see how really hungry you are for that rest of that plate. And you might be surprised. As your stomach settles, as the food gets in there, you might be surprised that, you know, your your eyes were bigger than your stomach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And okay. just give it some time.
1: All right. Joanne, any tip?
3: Um, I have two tips. One would be to roast your vegetables, like your sweet uh-huh. potatoes and your potatoes, instead of mashing them. I'm often just staggered by the kinds of things people put in mashed potatoes, to you know, like sour cream, cream cheese, butter, that sort of thing. So I would say roast the potatoes. And in our family, we always have to earn our meal, and so what we do is we get—I'm uh, the cook, so I get it in the oven, and then we go for a long hike, mm-hmm. and then we come back, and the house is warm and you know aromatic with the turkey, and then and then we've not only earned it, but we really are ready to eat. Then, so that's we've we've always tried to de-emphasize the whole food-centeredness of the of Thanksgiving and Christmas, and so athletic endeavors, whether it's hiking or biking or cross-country skiing when we go north uh, for Christmas, is always a big part of our holiday.
1: Okay, let's go to the phone. Sherry is on the line. Sherry?
3: Hi. Um, I, I have always tried to do
6: a pretty good job of feeding my family healthy, and recently I've been wanting to get a local um, produce or local um, locally grown foods. My question is, Since I usually order my fresh turkey from a grocery store. I would really prefer to get one locally from a local, you know, farm or something. And I don't have any idea where to even start looking for that. Can you give me some advice?
1: Jeff, do you have any uh,
2: Um, I know that a lot of the local butcher shops um, here and in Spencer are selling locally fresh turkeys. Mm -hmm. um, And I know that they're... You know you obviously are going to pay a little bit of a premium for them, right, but it would be worth it and I would look at your locally local butcher shops in uh Meat shops here in town, and yeah. um, even in Spencer as well. Mm-hmm.
1: My guess is we might hear from our friends at Earth Eats before this mm-hmm. show is over. Mm-hmm. You I can, know <laughs> you can go online and uh, and and probably find them on the WFiu website. Mm-hmm. And also, there's a local Growers Guild in Bloomington, Monroe County, that uh, they would probably have information about. A local Growers go-
0: Guild,
6: and I can just mm-hmm. look that up online.
1: Yeah.
0: I believe so. Yeah, I've um, ordered one from Butcher's Block, which is a local. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 That, that would be certainly worth a phone call. Um, I do thought of that.
1: <laughs> There's also, go go to localharvest.org online.
6: Localharvest.org. Uh-huh. Yep. That's great. Thank you so much. You're welcome.
1: Good luck. All right. Thanks. Let's go to, thank you very much, Jerry. Let's go to Charlotte next.
11: Charlotte?
5: That's great. Thank you so
11: much. Hi. Hey, Hi, Charlotte? Charlotte. Uh, Yes, it's me. I I have a totally different recipe for turkey that I've made. It's not exactly a Hoosier recipe, but I've done it a number of times in the past, and I'm thinking of doing it this year. And that is, too, it's from a Hungarian cookbook called Magic in Herbs. But first of all, you marinate the turkey in a mixture of carrots and olives and onions and garlic and lots of garlic and thyme and parsley and rosemary and olive oil and lemon juice for 24 hours. You marinate the turkey in that. And then you make a stuffing that is probably too complicated to tell you on the line. It's a whole bunch of things, but mainly it's a bunch of both um, butter, bacon, a number of herbs, and spices and and it's ground really fine and then you stuff you push the stuffing under the skin all around the turkey so that the flavor of the herbs and the um the garlic and and it goes through the turkey, and it keeps the skin very crisp, and keeps the 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 turkey very moist. And it's not—it sounds harder than it is. You didn't just kind of, you, if with the turkey, you can slide your hand beneath the the skin and make a pocket all through the turkey, and and push that stuffing in. It really gives a totally different flavor, but it's wonderful. And I can write it down and send it to you on an email if you want to have that online.
1: That'd be great. That would be great. Right.
0: I think I might have just shed a little tear. Charlotte, that sounds delicious.
1: <laughs> thanks, okay. thanks, Charlotte.
11: Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll just send, write it up and send it okay. to you. Okay? All
1: right. Thank you. But Thank it's a you.
11: totally different take on turkey. Sounds yep. good. All
0: right. Thank you. Uh, you're friend. right. We did hear back from Our Earth Eats, <laughs> and Earth Eats suggests order directly from the farmers. Cut out the middleman. <laughs>
1: All right. Now it's, of course, Charlotte Zitlow, a local (coughs) treasure and institution. Um, And
0: really good cook. And really good cook. That's
1: right. Let's uh, also – I mentioned dessert. We only have about a minute to go. So um, traditional dessert, your favorite traditional dessert? Persimmon pudding.
4: Persimmon pudding? Yeah. Okay. My mom would make squash pie instead of pumpkin pie just because that's what we had.
5: Okay. Mm.
1: All right. Joanne?
3: I would say pumpkin pie, definitely. Yeah. But spicy, more than the c- can of Libby's, you know. Right. Really pop. pop. So with the spice in there.
1: What extra spice? What kind oh, of spice?
3: Clove, nutmeg, ginger. Mm-hmm. Just take mm-hmm. that that same degree or that same spices, but just double the double mm-hmm. the amount, I'd say.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm. And add a touch of bourbon. That's really oh, good. that was good. <laughs> and then, you know, I've
3: had it with um, bourbon pecans on um, top, too, oh. just like a praline Ooh, pumpkin. Yeah. That was really good.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, just, for 30 me, thirty seconds. Okay. My my family, my mom and my aunt were learned how to make pie crust from my grandmother and it's the best I've ever had. So that's what we always grew up with was not just any certain pie, but a variety of pies. Uh-huh. And you always had it a choice. Okay, nice. it's always the crust.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: All right.
1: It's lunchtime. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much, Joanne Stutchen, Jeff Tabor, Harriet Armstrong. Uh, I'm sure we'll be repeating this show for years to come. Um, thanks to all of, all of you who joined us today. And also thanks to Mary Catherine. Always good to see you. And producers Gretchen Frazy and Julie Raw, as well as engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening.